Sandy Johnson. Um, this is Dusty Rush. That's my um, three-month-old back there. We'll see how she does today. Um, and so we come from Atlanta, Georgia, and we serve at a church called Campus Church. Dusty is the teaching pastor. I am the community pastor. Um, campus is kind of a unique place. We are on the it's Campus Church because we're on the campus of a very well-to-do Christian school um, with Church of Christ Heritage, but the ad, most students have no experience with the Church of Christ before they come there. Um, on this campus of this, again, very, very well-to-do school is the neighborhood right around it is very impoverished. Um, there are more extended stay hotels in that area than anywhere else in the country. Um, very low income. The school across the street from us is 95% free and reduced lunch. So it's a very interesting, peculiar context for a church to be in where our neighborhood and our world really are about as different as can be. Um, we have, I think, the best body of elders uh, a church could ever have. They're just absolutely... Our elders beat up your elders. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. There's <laughs> a really special, special group of um, men and families who... Um, campus is 50 years old, so it's an, another interesting context. If you've been in a church that is um, an older church, you know that there are all kinds of peculiar things about being a church that's been around for a long time. And so, um, But our, our elders have been both... Um, done incredible things to sustain the church as it lived, but also um, to help us move forward and grow. And um, it's an incredible, incredibly affirming place to be. Um, so we're going to start today with the reading of the word. This is from Luke 10, 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is in there who shares the peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But, what, but whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go into its streets and say, even if the dust of your, clung, of your town clings to our feet, we wipe it off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At the same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Um, 
I'm Dusty. Did you introduce our spouses? I introduced our, our baby. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> our spouses are here. Crystal has never been to California before. This is her first time. Crystal, raise your hand there. And then Eric's, or uh, Sandy's husband, Eric, is holding the little baby. I I'm going to assume by the number of people that are crowding into this room that discipling is an interesting and desired topic for you. Um, since nobody knows who I am or who Sandy is. So, um, I hope we won't disappoint you. What we want to do this morning is um, affirm that you are already doing discipling the way that discipling is meant to be done and encourage you to do it on purpose if you're not. Um, uh, I've got a couple of preacher friends in here and for a lot of years, I preached and didn't really know exactly what I was doing. I just was doing it, you know. And then when I kind of figured out over time how to do it on purpose, it helped me. <laughs> it kind of helped me. Okay, I've been doing these things, but now that I've got some structure for it that I didn't, I failed preaching class at Harding. True story. Got an F on every sermon. Um, it kind of, I didn't have the structure. So anyway, we want to we wanna affirm uh, we want to send you away not with a bunch of new programs to start at your churches that are impossible, but with a couple of seed thoughts um, and an invitation to continue dialogue with us. We love to talk about these sorts of things. So, um, Okay, so we want to make a couple of claims that are foundational to um, the ultimate claim about discipling that we want to make this morning. Claim number one that we we believe very much you can you can disagree with me and then burn me at the stake later um, but God is a community uh, so that's claim number one that that um, if you if we of course God is this being that we will forever be trying to understand um, enjoy I believe in heaven we'll still be trying to understand God enjoy and enjoy enjoying the journey but um, and in some ways, if you, you can, if you get God wrong, you get everything else wrong to a certain degree. Um, if you get, if you think that God is nitpicky and out to get you, and um, that God sees all things in black and white, all those sorts of things, then it kind of it shapes the way that you um, interact with your church. So we, we, everything that we do. So truly, everything we do is built out of this belief. If we got this wrong, then we're getting a lot of things wrong. That God is a community. And therefore, we function best as a community. In fact, we kind of put a stake in the ground. We only do communal things. We don't use very much individual language at campus. The Father and the Son... The spirit, I'm not really sure what to do with the spirit in that community, you know. Um, is the spirit this third being or is the spirit shared by the father and son? Anybody else with me? We can admit that we don't always know what to do with this, what we call the trinity. Um, that the love within the community of God is so grand that God is literally one. All right? Not this one God that's got these little parts and we try to no, we're we're kind of we're we're snubbing our nose at people that have been a lot smarter than us for centuries and we're saying <laughs> God is a community defined by mutual self-sacrificing love. 
displayed most clearly in the Gospels. The love between the Father and the Son. Jim McGuigan used to say, if you doubt me on this, come talk to me afterwards, but bring your lunch. I mean, the Gospels are on my side on this one. Jesus cared a lot about the disciples understanding this fundamental element of his being, that Jesus was head over heels in love with the Father, and the Father loved the Son, and everything float, flows out of that mutual self-sacrificing love. All right? So God is a community, and everything we do is communal. So whatever we say this morning, it's not going to be um, a sort of individualistic response to gospel message. That's usually a hint or a signal that we have wandered off of the path of what God is up to in the world. Okay? With me? Okay. That's found. The, we got the text. We're going to hold that up, um, come back to that. We've got this claim that God is a community, and then a We've third. got this next premise um, that the community of God is at work in the world, and it is for us to be faithful and obedient is to participate in what God is doing in the world. So just to clarify, she's going to butt in on me on occasion too, but when she says the community of God, she means God. Yes. Not yeah, the church. Not the church. Yeah. God, the community, is at work in the world. We also say the community of God is at work in the community of God, and we mean both in that yeah. case. But yeah, so that God, our premise, again, for everything, just as God is community, that God is at work in the world now, and it is our joy and our privilege and our way of obedience to join God in that work. So... You know, for me, this was a big paradigm shift at one point for our church. As I mentioned, we're a 50-year-old church. This was a pretty big paradigm shift um, to go from that obedience and faithfulness to God was following the list of things that the Bible said to make sure that we did, um, that obedience and faithfulness to God was not doing a list of things. Um, so for our church to make the shift that we believe that God is currently at work, it's not just a list of things God has for us to do that he made a long time ago. No, God is still working. And we can faithfully, not exhaustively, but we can faithfully know what God is up to and join God in that work. Um, so one, one way that we worked on shifting that was we started something called missional meals. And this was pre-COVID, so there were no qualms with getting people to join together. So we asked people, we said, hey, over the next year, we want to have 10,000 missional meals. And here's what a missional meal is. We want you to meet with one person or 10 people, a group of people to gather together and have a meal together and talk about two things. What is God up to? What do you see God doing right in your circle, in your world? So what is God up to? And what are you going to do about it? How are you going to join God? And it, it was very confusing and very difficult for people at first. I, you, I mean, I imagine you can imagine this for people who have been in one tradition for a very long time, to, to not ask questions like, what does this passage say? But to say, what do I see God doing right now? Who do I see God working in? Where do I see God moving? And what am I going to do about it? How do, how do I get to partner with God in that? And we did it, and we did it, and we did it. And like I said, we, our goal was 10,000. Um, and we, so every time people did one, we'd have them log it. And... 
Um, we ho- we ask people to try to do two a week, you know. We're a works-oriented church. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so we could talk about it. And people would tell stories. People tell incredible stories of, um, you know, j- just the mindfulness of thinking about it that caused them to talk to a neighbor um, that they hadn't known or, or caused them to start something at their workplace that they had never even thought about um, because they were mindful of what God is currently up to and how they could partner with God. It was really special. COVID hit about halfway through that, so we said, mm, please stop meeting together. <laughs> um, if you'd like to have a missional meal, you can do it on Zoom. <laughs> but um, So yeah, so that is a huge premise of ours that, man, God is at work and we want to join him. And all of our discipleship flows through those two premises. Yep. What's this thing y'all are passing around? Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. Sign and sheet. Are you getting credit? Class credit for coming in? For reading us? No, it's in case somebody in the room gets COVID. Mm. That comes oh. COVID in that way. Okay. This person in this Whose class. fault it was. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Uh, we got the text. We have this claim, God is a community, and this claim that God is up to something in the world, and we want to we wanna know what that is, and we want to attend to it. What that's kind of suggested beneath the surface of that is um, contrary to what Scott McKnight says, God works in the world sometimes outside of the church. And so often outside of the people of God. And we want to we discern what God is already up to. Missional impulse <clears throat> changes from thinking I'm going to go do something for God to <clears throat> I'm going to we, we are going to discern what God is up to and join God. Remember the old, um, I mean, what were the workbooks back in the campus ministry days that we did all the um, Blackaby and, and, you know, experiencing God workbooks. Like they, were, they were talking about this way back then. I was a campus ministry at LSU, and we, we talked about it a lot. What's God up to? What is God up to? God is up to something in the world. Okay, I'm going to throw out a Venn diagram because every class should have at least one Venn diagram in it. And uh, there's some brokenness to this diagram, I, I, I admit. Um, but uh, even though it's not ideal, it has really helped us put sort of a picture to, we're going to get to discipling, I promise, next. But this has helped put a kind of a, a visual image to this missional meal and discernment process for us. So... Um, I'm not going to do the first one. There, there are a number of uh, ways that we have thought about what it means to engage in mission in the world. And um, one of the ways, this is the way that this is what I grew up with mostly. Uh, my dad was super evangelist when I was born in Quincy, Illinois. Do you know I was born in Illinois? And um, one year they had a goal of a baptism every day. And they didn't meet their goal. You know, but they only came, were short by like 50. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was super evangelist, you know. Um, and so uh, the, 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 this is a model that there's some truth to it, and but then there's a little bit of brokenness to it as well. Um, that God has sent the church into the world. Obviously, there's some language like that within scriptures um, that we, you know, I mean, uh, Christ has been sent into the world and, and we are the body of Christ. Uh, we, we sing song. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, you know. And, and um, my favorite, favorite one was Richard Rogers saying, um, doing the Isaiah text and, and um, 
who will go for me, you know, and the whole church stands. Here am I, send me, right? And, the, the, and like, it, I remember being so stirred by that, and the, but the language was, here am I, not here are we. Send me, you're, I'm going to go out for you, right? So there's some biblical um, foundation to that, but you can imagine that there's maybe if that is your only, um, that's your only kind of thought about what missional impulse looks like, then the negative here is that God is kind of residing a long way from the world. And the burden really is upon the church to begin. Like we begin things instead of the word that we say all the time at campus is participating, uh, we're joining God. Um, and, but I mean, this is not completely, I mean, I'm sure in this room we've got some people who in some ways have begun things. Although I would probably argue that God was up to something there, whether you acknowledge that or not. So the model that we go with, that I just, when I say we, I mean me. Nobody else cares about this, but I love it. I love it. Is that you've got, um, you've got the church and you've got the world. And this is already kind of broken as if the church exists in spaces in which the world doesn't. But this represents that we are in the world, but not of the world. We intersect very much with our culture and um, uh, human the humanity whom God loves. And yet we are a people set apart in some ways. Um, and that God inhabits it all. Uh, Richard Rohr would say God is in everything. That the way God loves is by becoming. That God... Uh, the incarnation of Christ is not this one-off. It's emblematic of who God is. God abides among humanity. All right. Okay. So what we try to pay attention to, especially when we're talking about missional engagement, is this space right here. We want to know, this is that question, what is God up to in the world and how might we join him? How might we join the community of God in the world? Um, so uh, uh, where is your desire, your giftedness, your hurt, um, your um, passion intersecting with your neighbor or uh, your city or your workplace? Um, I can't remember what order we have things in, but can I talk about Vic and yeah? yeah so um, so uh, we have these missional communities, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But we had this uh, a group of retired folks who came to us and said, "We're a small group, but you keep talking about missional communities. We call them adventure communities." Ugh, I hate that name, but that's what we call them. Um, and they said, "Well, we're we're down. What what does that look like for us?" And so. Um, a handful of us sat down with them and we started dialoguing about this space right here. What, what, what do you, who are you, your little community? Who are you and what do you desire and what drives you? And the Enneagram is helpful in a lot of these things. Like what, what, what pushes you forward? And, and what we discovered was that they are a bunch of retired people who, <clears throat> who love to serve. 
it, it, it gets them going in the morning. They especially love to serve widows and people who, who need like manual labor, physical help. So the old model would have been, okay, we're sending Vic's community out to the widows and those who are in need. And this is our missional model. Um, but the new way of, that we think about this is, okay, huh, I wonder if God is up to something here. That whatever it is that God has done through the years, to you're not just spectacular people. God has done something to you and in you to cause this desire to serve uh, widows. I wonder if God is also doing this in your world, in your community. And the answer is absolutely. Like They live in neighborhoods where there are a lot of retired people. And guess what? Those retired people, whether they know Jesus or not, have the same desire, the same passion. They love to serve. They're up for using their skills to help a widow who is in need. So instead of the mission being, um, we're going to help widows, which is a great mission, that is a part of what they do, but this space is their missional activity. And so this space is other retired people who also have the same passions and desires because God has also been doing something in their hearts. Do you see the difference between the two? Like what, what they're doing is asking, what has God been doing and creating in us? Is God already doing that in other people as well? And might this be the space in which we find missional commonality, right? We're not now just going, just going out to serve widows. We are inviting, this was an old campus ministry model, by the way. We're going to invite other retirees to join us in this because we believe they also care about this. We're not just delivering everything that they need to change about their lives. We're going to join them in these desires to love that God has created in them because they have the Imago Dei. And that's where we hang out missionally. Now, the, if, you, if you have to have a target, the target is other retired people who also care about widows and helping people. The paradigm shifts often feel both enormous and small all at the same time. That might sound like a really small shift, but it's really significant for our body. We ask very different kinds of questions, and we measure differently about what do we want to spend our money on and our resources? Where do we want to invest? We don't invest in startups. We, we invest in a sure thing, what God is already doing. Does that make sense? Okay, were you next? Yeah. yeah. I got us off. Yeah, got us off a little, so I want to go to, I want to talk about campaigns for a second, yeah? Uh, yeah, and then we eventually need to define discipling and talk yeah. about that. Okay, so one example of this, um, we, that we had a woman who just is, is wonderful and very passionate and worked at that elementary school I described across the street years ago that is incredibly poor, um, and she's a librarian, and so she, she you know, believes with all of her heart that the best way to help these kids is to get them good education. So um, she wanted to start a, a thing with books, and it was great. And it was a really great idea. But sort of everywhere we turned, it did not feel like the way that she wanted to do it was what God was up to. Not, not because it was a bad idea or whatever. It just, in our discernment process, felt like we're missing something here. So 
as we talked and asked more questions. And one of my great friends is in the back, and it's so good to see you. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I don't have any friends. <laughs> as, uh, as we talked and asked questions, um, man, there was this apartment complex right next to us that the kids go to that school that she's talking about that were begging our church to help them. And so, it, it, again, it was this, instead of, man, she's got a great idea, let's invest in that. We spent a long time in this discernment process and started thinking through, okay, what is God already up to and how can we follow that instead of um, these whatever ideas that might pop into our heads? Yeah, one of the things that we said to her was, um, we don't want to make a move until you have spoken with the community that you want to bless. Right. Like what, what, who else in, your, in the community wants to be a part of this? Don't, you don't even know, like there might be, uh, there may already be a committee of moms and dads who are talking about this very thing and you know, we're gonna come in as the great white hope and offer something that the community is already about. Like we believe if God is doing this in you, God is doing this in others, right? Right. right. Okay. So let's talk about discipling. That's, um, we obviously, mission and discipleship are hand in hand, right? So here's the definition of discipleship that we're working from. Discipleship is mutual encouragement in the Jesus way. See you later. <laughs> you came for that. Mutual, yep, discipleship is mutual encouragement in the Jesus way. So... Again, with paradigm shifts, sometimes the big and small at the same time, we've, we've learned that it's often helpful to talk about what something is not to help us understand what it is. So, Mutual encouragement in the Jesus way. Yep. So what we've learned that discipleship is not is it is not restricted to evangelism. Right? Discipleship is a lifelong process for all people. Um, Mission is certainly part of discipleship, but it is not restricted to evangelism. Second, we've learned that discipleship, and this is a big one for us, we've learned that discipleship is not top-down. That if you have been following Jesus for all of your life, you still have things to learn from your seven-year-old neighbor who has never met Jesus. The God, the image of God is in that little girl, and... Um, Mutual encouragement in the Jesus way comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and it is not elders teaching children always, right? Um, not that that's not part of it, right? We, it is, uh, so back in verse, um, Dusty's going to go through this later, but just in verse 21, it says, you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. And we believe this is true in all of discipling, that we have so much to learn from each other. And a, a life in community, encouraging each other in the Jesus way, is the most beautiful discipleship that we have experienced. Okay, we've learned that discipleship is not a Bible study. Just as we don't preach the Bible because we preach Jesus, um, our discipling relationships are not just learning about the Bible. They're learning about enjoying life in Jesus, which we think the scriptures are a vital part of. But there is so much more than sitting in a class, learning which scriptures go with which scriptures to tell us the right way to do things. I'd love to jump in here. For yes, a please do. I feel like we use that language so often that that might have been a little jarring for some of you for us to say, 
we say this often, we don't preach the scriptures. Um, we preach God. And the scriptures serve that purpose. Um, and so what Sandy's saying supports that. But for some of us, myself included, so, so trained in the whole sermon is about not getting the scriptures wrong. You know, and I've never ever was graded on whether I got God wrong or God right. Right. Um, no, we're we're preaching Christ and Christ crucified, and the scriptures absolutely serve that. Um, but that is kind of a paradigm shift for us, isn't it? When discipling was always just more Bible. How can we get people to come to more Bible studies? You know. Right. Right. Okay. And then the last thing. This is what just. This is not a not. This is an is, okay? Um, Because God is community, again, one of our main premises, discipling always happens in community. Um, One of the tools, and we're going to talk about this more later, that we use in our discipleship process is called unique. And their language is it's a gospel-centered life design process. So unique is... Y-O-U-N-I-Q-U-E. Yep. Unique is the kind of thing where you take some personality tests and you, um, our, our favorite part about Unique is that you look at the whole picture of your life and you, point, you very intentionally see where God has been, what God might be up to now, and what dream about what you might, ways that you might join God in your future. We love that part of it. But as a, as a design, Unique is very individual. You know, what... What has God done in me? What talents do I have? And we have worked very hard to totally rewrite it to say that, no, this, it is so important to do this in community. Um, every time we do a round of unique, it's, it's a very intense, thoughtful, reflective process. So every time we do a round of unique, we never do it where it's a coach and a person. We try to do it where it is a group of people. And we have found that it is unbelievable what we learn from each other when you're sharing your story and explaining where you've seen God working. And you're sharing your story. And they might be so different from each other or they might intersect in different ways. Um, but the power of doing it together is way deeper than when we do any, an individual thing. All right. Is that like a website or a, what is, what is that? <laughs> yes, we, we'll give you some, de- we'll talk about more about Unique later, right? Or did we already pass that? Sure. <laughs> um, and we'll get, we can give you some more details about it. Do you have a question? I just wanted to make sure my notes are correct. Yeah. The first three things you said were what discipleship was not, mm-hmm. what the community is, what it is. Exactly. Okay. Yep. It is n- well, it's not apart from community, if that helps your notes. <laughs> the, I'm, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. The discipleship is spiritual friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we know that we're kind of just jumping from this, 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 and this. It's just kind of how we decided we wanted to do this we would rather just throw a bunch of stuff out and if something sticks to your wall then we can have conversations about it later but um so we one of the ways we started talking about um this whole idea of of this um and missional community which is kind of a buzzword now i suppose Um, we don't think of missional community the way we think of small groups for instance it's different than that um, we, we say that somewhere along the way, mission and fellowship got a divorce. And we're the kids, and we went to live with fellowship. And 
on you know holidays we go visit dad mission but it's always awkward right because it's not where we live we live in fellowship but you know mission is like you know you take the youth group to the park to play volleyball but before that you play volleyball you tell them they have to spend 15 minutes going around the park inviting total strangers to come play volleyball with them that's visiting dad on the weekend it's just not it's not this at all it's this like just go out and and see if something sticks and and so, therefore, the gift of evangelism is always a bunch of weirdos. I'm sorry if you have the gift of evangelism in here. I mean, my dad was one, and you just had to be almost superhuman. You know, I mean, my dad was one of those people who just walk into a coffee shop, and everybody was his best friend when he left the place, right? And, but he spent half of his many industry expecting everybody to learn that skill, right? But that's not really, that's that model of mission and, and fellowship got divorced and uh, we don't want to go live with Terry Rush all the time. You know, it's uncomfortable, right? So um, could we get the band back together? Could we marry them to where these two have to abide together? So this is how we're, we're being kind of legalistic about this um, because we're trying to right the ship. We don't do fellowship unless it's missional. And we don't do missional unless it's fellowship. Uh, so Kim came to us with a missional. There was absolutely zero fellowship in it. She hadn't talked to one other person. There was no community, both within our physical community and within the community of faith. There was nothing, right? This is often what people who we've labeled as having the gift of evangelism, this is how they function. They're usually, you know, pioneers out there on their own. And... Um, again, if, you, if you're one of those, you, maybe you're not this person, but if you ask most preachers, the most difficult person to deal with in the church is the evangelist, the one who thinks they have the gift of evangelism. They're very difficult to deal with because they're, they're on their own. They're doing things on their own. They usually see things as black and white as well. But um, Okay, so we, we, um, if discipling happens in community, Discipling for us happens in this space where we're marrying these two again. Mission and fellowship. And kingdom friendships in this space is discipling. That, that's, that's discipling. That's how we learn the Jesus way. Inside of community and mission. This is how the disciples learned to be disciples. Inside both Fellowship and mission. Fellowship and mission. They both always went together. They, they weren't separated from one another. Um, okay, so I want to, I want to, um, again, I know that, I felt like there was a lot of blank stares at me when I was talking about this, but I want to talk about the text and make the claim that Luke 10 is absolutely this space right here and not this. I've always read Luke 10 as this right here. Uh, first of all, who are these 70 people? Where did they come? I don't have, we have a church way bigger than Jesus' church. I don't have 70 people I'd trust to send out with, with my sermon notes, right? <laughs> Who are these 70 people? Jesus sends them out. Um, and we've often made the point, well, he sends them out in pairs, you know. But uh, the sense of fellowship and mission is much richer than that. Um, Jesus literally sends them into fellowship. Uh, he's done, we, we, 
We just say he sends them into mission. But Jesus very literally sends them into fellowship. Here's what you're going to do. You're going you're gonna to be focused now. Don't get, don't get distracted along the way. And when you get to this space, create and enjoy fellowship. You're, you're not doing one or the other. You're doing both. And if this isn't a space where that can be enjoyed, then just move on to another space. Um, okay, so we, I think we read this with our own ex, you know, missional experiences in mind. The, the, I hated to pray when I was a little kid and I always felt guilty about it. But the times that I, most, that I prayed the most was door knocking. Anybody else ever go door knocking here? And my prayer... Lord, don't let anyone be home, right? Please, Lord, please. If you love me, don't let anyone answer the door, right? Um, door knocking was this, you know, we're sent out to create something in the world. Um, I don't think that's what Luke 10, what's going on in Luke 10 at all. I think that it's much more this space. Um, the disciples are going into community where there are other people who were hoping to hear what is about to be said. This isn't foreign. This isn't knocking on a door out of the blue. They didn't expect you to come, and then you're asking, Do you, are you okay with dying tonight? You know. Um, so I think about um, uh, Terry Rush. This is my dad. And dad, among other people, back in the day, started to... Um, believe that the Holy Spirit was active and present in our lives. And for those of you who are younger, I remember sitting in the bleachers with Dad one year at Pepperdine, and he was crying. And I asked him why he was crying. He said, everybody's talking about the Holy Spirit. He just couldn't believe it. He was so overwhelmed with joy because there was a day in which the Holy Spirit wouldn't have been named at all. It, the Trinity was the Father and the Son and the Scriptures. Right? <laughs> uh, very literally. And... Um, so, so let's say Terry Rush begins to discover, to his delight, that the scriptures are pointing to the presence of the Holy Spirit among the people of God. And he begins to share that with people in his congregation. And some of them leave because they're not interested in that at all. It sounds dangerous, it sounds heretical, but some stick around because whether they could articulate it or not, this is what, they, this is what they've been looking for, life in the gospel, right? He begins to share it with them and then decides to begin to send them out to other congregations to talk about this with other congregations of people who love God but who have missed out on this joy in life. Right? This is Luke 10. Luke 10 isn't this sending 70 out to this complete foreign land where they're, uh, they're, they're just going to you know, put a crate in the middle of the town center and stand up and say, you weren't interested in this, but we, we came here to say that unless you believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. Right? No, they're going into communities of Jewish brothers and sisters. And many of them have a common hope. Some of them have assigned that hope to other um, survival mechanisms 
um, participation with Rome, uh, separating themselves from the community, the Essenes, and, and being completely set apart. But some of them have been waiting for word of the Messiah. They've heard others say it, but there's a ring of truth to this one. Jesus says, you know, this kind of news needs to be shared at a, over a table. There's no pulpit involved here, just a table in which we share food and talk about the bread of life together. This is totally this kind of space, not this kind of space. Am I, is that resonating with you at all? Make sense, the difference between the two? You're raising your hand. Yeah, it, it reminds me of Peter and Cornelius, where God was working with both of them, and then he brought them together in a home. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Would have been a much greater point to make. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Well done. Thanks for shaming me in front of the whole class. No. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really great point. God is already up to something. Peter has to choose, and this will be hard for him going forward as well. I mean, can, can I participate with God? This often is our choice, right? You know, not am I going to go do something for God. It's do I have the guts to go with God into this space? But God is already doing something, and they are to sit at table and discover this together. Okay, one other thing, and then I'm going to turn it over to Sandy to say, Lord knows what. I don't know. Um, in the story, in Luke 10, something happens that I think is the most discipling moment of the story. And that is when they all return and share story together. Now, this is discipling. They don't return, and Jesus says, okay, now pull your Bibles out. Now that you're done doing that work, we're going to workshop what we're going to do next weekend, right? No, no, it, they come together and they share story. This is what we saw. This is what we experienced. And Jesus says, this is what I saw. This is what I experienced. This is discipling. This is, this is not, I mean, obviously Jesus is the teacher and they are, the, the disciples are the students, but for us, you're already doing this. As Shane Kaufman said, Shane, I know you do this with your team. You talk about what did you see, what did you experience, and you share what you saw. Like this is the discipling space. Let's just do this on purpose. How many of you are elders in here? How many of you are ministers for a church? Ministers, raise your hand if you're with me on this. If you could just get your elders to sit down with the young men in the church and love on them. Like, I, I mean, I could, I could do away with any more elders meetings. If I could just get the elders to, to have a to twice a week have coffee with young men in the church. Yeah. Don't have a Bible study with them. Just ask them, what do you think God's up to? in the world what does it look like for you to join to be vulnerable with them this is what I see this is what I'm experienced here's where I have failed this is what we want this is kingdom friendship in the Jesus way this is what discipling looks like okay Sandy well our time's up but I was gonna say so oh, we man. did we did some uh, when we were first starting switching from small group model to missional community model, we had we did some coaching with a guy um, who's big in the missional community movement, and we we spent you know one week a month talking, and we had all this great theory. And close to the end, we were like, "Can you just 
give us examples because we feel like we fully understand it but have no idea what to do. And so um, can we spend two minutes talking about examples? Okay, uh, so some of our, again, we call them adventure communities, but one of our missional communities is called Kids in Action. And it was a, a mom who said, I, you know, I am super passionate about my kids loving service. And so I want to do things, but I don't just want my family to do it. I want, I want to do this with other families. I want to live in community with other families who have kids about the same age as mine. And we serve together regularly. And we think that we have neighbors and friends at school and friends that play on our kids' basketball teams, which was one of her prime, like, thought of, kid who played on her kids' basketball team, whose families may or may not follow Jesus, but they also want their kids to love serving other people and to love other people. And they do. They, they serve together regularly. They have meals together regularly. Um, and it is a beautiful expression of missional community. It's they that. They found this space together right here. Yep. He talked about the senior serving seniors one. Um, my husband and I are part of a community of, there are seven young families. So there's 14 adults. And between us, we have 15 kids. And the oldest is seven. And so it is chaos. Uh, there are Right now we have seven five-year-olds in this community because there's a set of triplets and a set of twins. That, um, that it's, so it's a lot and it's chaos. And we are not in a stage of life where we can get together and have a Bible study once a week. Um, but we can get together and let our kids play, play with each other. And we can get together and be very intentional about adults who love Jesus, building relationships with our friends' kids. And we spend all week on Marco Polo, do you know what Marco Polo is, and texts uh, talking about what God is up to, what we're learning, what we're reading. Um, uh, the guys have a group by themselves, and they read a book together regularly. Um, we pray with each other. Almost everything that we talk about that is um, of any depth is on a digital platform. Because when we get together, it is chaos. And so when we get together, we enjoy each other. We enjoy a meal. We hang out with each other, and we invest in each other's children. Um, uh, we, uh, we're over time, but we have one other that is um, the young professionals community. You just want to? Yeah, yeah, you get it. You yeah. get the. Um, and, and Sandy is a really great resource if you want to visit with her afterwards. Uh, we just want to encourage you that you're mm-hmm. you're doing you're doing discipling, and uh, we don't believe you need a new discipling program. We believe that our people and yours, we need to rewire our thinking again to marry mission and community once again, mission and fellowship once again. Um, And in that space, discipling will happen. Okay? Thanks for coming to our class. Thank you.